Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. First full 15 and 60, the worst, most inaccurately named podcast in sports. But if you're new, we're going to talk about each team here in the Western Conference, really try to dig in to some of these early season trends, figure out who's, if some of these surprise teams are for real or not, look at some players who've been in new situations, see how they're doing. So let's get right to it here, Danny, with the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks are 4-2, and 11th in net rating at plus 3.6, number one in the league in offense, and 19th in the league in defense. And I mean, for a few teams in the Western Conference, the, our sections on them are, are really going to focus on answering a single question as best we can, and that is, are they for real? The number one offense to me, I still can't figure out how they're doing it. Even if you look at their fundamentals within that offense, they're only 10th in e-field goal percentage. That's the biggest of uh, the four factors, the other being offensive rebound percentage, turnover percentage, and free throw rate. They do take 40% of their shots as threes, but they're not shooting an unbelievable percentage there. They are last in their percentage of shots at the rim. They are shooting extremely well from mid-range, and they do have some pretty good mid-range shooters on this team. Doncic with his floater, Porzingis uh, with his mid-range pick-and-pop game, his ISO game. They're fourth in offensive rebound percentage, so that's pretty good. But still, this doesn't, in terms of the talent and a lot of the fundamentals, you, there's nothing that pops out of you is like, oh yeah, this is going to maintain all year. These guys are just so difficult to stop. They Yeah, Doncic is pretty good. Porzingis, his spacing is big. They've got some good role players, but this doesn't feel like a number one offense to me that that's going to keep going. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I still have that feeling. Something that points in that direction is, yes, they are number one, 113.6 points per under possessions using clean the glasses garbage time filter. But that 113.6 is not some otherworldly number. This is not a, a circumstance where a team is popping like a 120 offensive rating. And when you consider the small sample size, I think that's kind of notable. So maybe... Yeah, one- yeah. And just to elaborate on that, you would think that at this point in the year, the number one offense would be higher than the number one offense at the end of the year. Yeah, offense gets better over the course of the season, but just due to unsustainability and outliers that you would just have a larger spread than that and i mean last year you had the warriors and the rockets you know 115 116 offensive rating my overall take on on it is i I, this looks to me especially if the bench you know depending on what they get there which is always a variance for some of these teams and if they stay healthy i think they look like a top 10 offense but maybe not a top one or even even necessarily a top five that that could depend on shooting luck and a few other factors 
for me, the other important part of this, I mean, so yeah, if they, if they downgrade on offense, you know, a few points per possession, that, that tightens up their point differential. And then defensively, there are a few different things that are a little bit concerning to me. The number one, because of how this filters into other parts of the game, is that they absolutely are not forcing turnovers. Opponents are, are turning the ball over in just 12.5% of possessions, which is incredibly low. Yeah, and that's hurt their running game very early on. We saw that they were running more. Now that has abated in part because they don't force those turnovers. But it was a little bit of a concern because they don't have that just run it down your throat type of point guard. And they don't have a pedigree of doing a lot of running uh, under Rick Carlisle. And so now they're down to 18th in terms of their transition frequency overall. And that's not a great number. So again, I think this feels like it could be a top 10 offense if... Chris Stapps, Porzingis stays healthy because and also I think teams you know Porzingis is shooting it really well from three two-point percentage not good for him 46 percent he's hasn't been able to hit that well from mid-range so far he's certainly a threat there but I think it's more been Doncic uh, with his floaters that's really driving that really good mid-range number and 39 percent from three is pretty good but his overall efficiency is below average he doesn't really get to the foul line he's not putting opponents in a position where they have to foul him so I'm very curious to see if, you know, he has definitely been really opening things up for other players, right? Like that Denver game, for example, he's out there without Doncic at the start of the fourth quarter and they're sticking to him like he's Dirk and the guards are walking right to the rim. So is that going to continue? Our team's going to let him shoot a little bit more? I mean, he's got enough of a reputation and he's just, he's firing from way out there too. Doesn't even need any space. He's coming off of screens. So even if he doesn't shoot that amazing of a percentage, overall from two and isn't getting his own offense he really opens things up for others but is he going to be out there all year you know we haven't seen any load management yet from him and we haven't seen any injuries yet from him both of which have been major concerns so far in his career one other quick note on the mavericks the next couple weeks are going to be somewhat clarifying in terms of whether they're a true clear playoff team partially because they have a bunch of games against bad teams they play the Knicks twice, they play the Grizzlies and the Cavs, and so if they can take care of business cleanly against those teams, not just beat them, but beat them convincingly, that's going to help, but then they also have some home games against pretty good teams, San Antonio, Toronto, Orlando, and so if they can handle business in most of those too, that's the general profile of a, you know, at least a low-end playoff team, beat the bad ones and beat the beat the better ones at home. Yeah, we'll have a fuller breakdown on Luca. He's obviously been fantastic early yeah. on. He's bumped up. We want to give his, him more time. Yeah, uh, he's bumped up his efficiency. Uh, 35% now from three, up from 32% last year. Even that much of a bump, considering how difficult his attempts are, is pretty good and he's shooting it really well around the rim 69 percent there and is passing i mean that third quarter against the lakers was an absolute passing tour de force and then he got into the step back game as well so that uh ben taylor did a video on that he called it mvp level i i agree with him there the defense i had higher hopes for it they you mentioned they're not forcing turnovers they're basically mid-pack and everything else except they're not fouling that's good but interestingly with either Kleba or Kristaps Porzingis on the floor those two two guys opponents actually take more shots at the rim when either of those guys are, are on the floor I did really like the look of those two guys together in the Denver game when Denver was trying to get inside and getting everything blocked on the end so maybe that'll change around but the defense has been a little bit of a disappointment to me so far because they do have some pretty decent defensive players with this group um 
So I think that could get a little bit better. The offense is going to get worse. You know, I see him settling in and kind of your 45 win type of range, maybe even up to high 40s when healthy. Uh, but of course, that's always a question mark with Porzingis. Uh, let's talk about the five and two Denver Nuggets. Blew out Miami last night. Their 2.2 net rating is 12th in the NBA, 20th ranked offense. Certainly a disappointment there. 12th on defense. What do you got? Something to look at early on in a season is whether a team is being particularly fortunate or unfortunate in terms of opponent shooting. Not in terms of locations, but in terms of the success. Denver has been exceedingly fortunate so far. Opponents are shooting just 30% from mid-range and 32% from three, both of which are top or bottom five, however you want to see it in the league. You know, like their opponents are just missing shots against them. And you expect that to even out at least a little bit over the course of the season. Teams have more control over the shots that teams opponents take rather than whether or not they go in. That is a little bit. Now they are allowing fewer threes than they did last year. That's nice. Which is good. Uh, but the, the bigger concern, and I mean, we've it's been a passing mention throughout this season, you know, we're only two weeks in, is just that Nikola Jokic hasn't been that huge force, a guy that I, I thought had a chance of being in the MVP conversation. He absolutely has not been so far. Yeah, and I generally eschew per game stats, but I think in this circumstance, it's pretty relevant for a guy who, again, you said was supposed to be in the MVP conversation this year. Well, 14.9 points a game is probably not going to get that done. 3.1 free throw attempts a game is probably not going to get that done. 29.6 minutes per game due to just a series of ridiculously asinine fouls. I mean, he, he played nine minutes in the first half against Miami the other night and then picks up his fourth they throw it to jimmy butler uh they throw it away to jimmy butler he's clearly got the ball he's even almost taken a dribble and then don just just like hip checks him intentionally just i would assume to stop the fast break but he just picked up your fourth foul and you already only played nine minutes in the first half and granted they didn't need him in that game because miami uh was just so broke on jump shots but like he takes intentional fouls every game and you're in foul trouble every game what are you doing and it can be really hard in these circumstances to attribute blame to coaches or to yoga but somebody's screwing up and we don't know who it is remember that it's him it's probably i'm pretty sure i mean mike malone has been banging the drum that he needs to stay out of foul trouble since his rookie year and they should just have it as a policy that he cannot take intentional fouls and that should be true for basically any star player unless they have an appallingly low lebron james-esque foul rate but it's even more true for a a big and b a player who is just prone to fouls in the first place and Jokic is both of those two so that it's a very real concern and i think that's a part of the explanation for part of why their offense has been flat so far well you know i think you know why he does it danny it's because he's tired yeah i agree You're, you're i mean you can when you're physically tired that seeps into being mentally tired there's just a defense mechanism of oh shit i gotta get back I'm going to have to run really hard. Ah, I'll just take this foul. It's the smart play anyway. You know, you see players kind of do that sometimes, but he can't afford that. He, he really can't. But sorry, I got I got a little worked up there. What, what, were, you, what were you saying? No, no, I, I think that's totally fine. Uh, and it's it's an important part of this story. And there, I think the Denver offense has also largely been inspiring. We saw some really cool stuff from Jokic and Murray as a pick and roll combination last year. It just hasn't happened as much. And that could be yeah. sampled. There just isn't as much there. But the I, basically the theory behind, well, let's say, me having Denver as the my projected number one team in the Western Conference, and yes, they are 5-2, and two, but we, we know to look beyond that is that that they we're going to have a dynamic offense and then adding Jeremy Grant plus Paul Millsap and everything else, their defense was going to be solid. And they just haven't been that team yet, even though they are still winning games. 
Yeah, I mean, recall that they're 11th in defense last year and 7th in offense, and they are way below that this year. Talk a little bit more about Jokic's struggles. Again, I think many of these indicators show that he, yes, indicators do indicate things. That's why they're called indicators. Uh, Do show Jokic not being in shape. 1.7 offensive rebounds a game, way down, about 6% offensive rebounds or so uh, when I checked it a couple days ago. Last year, posted up. 25% 25% of the time that's down to 22% of the time we haven't seen him just putting guys in the goal the way he did especially against smaller defenders last year he's just overall moving around a lot less he's f- facing the basket a lot less he's attacking off the dribble a lot less he would just by moving around s- setting screens having screens set for him he could get into the post against mismatches and when he is posting up it's kind of just straight punch five that's the the play call for a a post up for your five man as opposed to just more organically getting into the offense getting down low against mismatches god forbid running the floor he's not bringing the ball up as much this year either there's just so a lot less variability to his attack he's shooting more spot ups and not hitting them that's a another issue as well and again we talked about this before but i think 30 percent three-point shooting might be closer to his norm than that one year that he was close to 40 percent every other year he's been in the low 30s so you remember like they used to run that play where jamal murray would set a screen for him to come out of the corner that was really difficult to deal with and then murray would pop out you know we haven't seen much of that type of stuff from him this year either it's just a lot less active overall and that doesn't even begin to get into the defense where he does still kind of make them vulnerable because he has to get out on the floor defensively and then that opens up gaps in the defense because you get someone going downhill at him in a more conservative scheme he's not gonna be able to stop him so uh definitely concerns hopefully he plays himself into a little bit better shape there uh we'll talk about rookie of the year candidate eric pascal in a moment first though this from blinkist if you feel like you can't find the time to read all the books on your list i'm one of those people too i've spent the last three days recording a total of six podcasts we're gonna do the cast researching for those podcasts i haven't had a single second basically to breathe i would love to read nonfiction books i just don't have time to do it but fortunately, Blinkist exists, and I'm going to be using a lot of that on this little trip that I'm going on this week. What Blinkist does is they condense nonfiction books down to 15 minutes. You can either read or listen to them in their app. Works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser. One of my favorite books, Emotional Intelligence, is available on there. They've got just a ton of titles. Basically, any nonfiction book that you've heard of, take a look. It's probably going to be on there. And it really makes sense because you're reading these to either enhance your knowledge uh, or your life but are you really going to remember eight hours worth of information which is how long it takes you to read one of these books no you probably remember 15 minutes about it and so why not just get the highlights from it instead the way to get started with them and get unlimited access to their massive library and all for one low price is at blinkist.com slash cap space easy remarks we talk about all the time here on the program b-l-i-n-k-i-s-t blinkist.com slash cap space to start your free seven-day trial and you can save 25 percent off and most importantly with that slash cap space url let them know that you came from us okay golden state warriors surging at two and five surging to still being 30th in net rating 30th in defense (laughs) and 12th in offense but they did have a let's call it a heartwarming win 127 118 over the portland trail i thought it was the most enjoyable warriors home game since maybe the 16 17 season in the regular season maybe even the 15 16 season um the the 73 and 9 wow doesn't that feel like a long time ago but 
the uh part of that was Kai Bowman had a, had a nice performance and the but the star I mean yeah. of that by the, by the way Kai Bowman should we just like tell people who that is because <laughs> I I didn't know at the start of training camp uh Bowman from North Carolina played actually was played football and basketball was actually recruited to Alabama North Carolina on a football scholarship played in sorry at Boston College for his college tenure and then he's on a two-way with the Warriors athletic guy I still so I th- so, so he went to school in Boston is that what you're trying to say no I'm saying he went to Boston College he didn't he didn't go yeah. to school in Cambridge no, no I I just ma- making fun of all those assholes who went to Harvard and like you ask them where they went to school and they say in Boston because you can't say Harvard because oh my god I'm gonna be like so intimidated that you said the name of the school when I directly asked you what school you went to and because they're worried that they're gonna be fought arrogant for saying that they went to harvard but in fact it's actually more arrogant to believe that simply mentioning the name of the school that you went to is going to make everyone think that you're arrogant between that and the ohio state university we got a lot of baggage on the warriors um (laughs) but it but bowman athletic i've been impressed with that when he can get to the basket he looks good the jump shot is going to be the just like for so many athletic point guards the swing skill for him and i'm i'm not not super sure about that but he has he has looked better and i'm gonna write on this at some point for the athletic probably in the next week but the they're gonna have some real challenges of how to use their two ways because you only get those those 45 days and they need those days right now with d'angelo russell being out and obviously steph curry being out but then they can't just like convert those necessarily because they're dealing with the hard cap and everything else so it's it's going to be a boondoggle for the Warriors yeah Bowman to me has shown NBA athleticism the jump shot was not there early on but I mean just because he's playing they're playing him 38 minutes a game because they have no other point guards available right now he's been able to get into a rhythm have some confidence he's got a decent jump shot from the mid-range at least going to his right has shown some ability to push and transition and finish at the basket feisty as well but i I think really the guy that we need to talk about is just uh, our scouting impressions of eric pascal who had 25 at home against charlotte then followed that up with 34 against portland in that rousing win and is now put up three 20-point games in seven games so far number 41 overall pick out of villanova and pascal talked after the portland game about his his ability to score at different levels of his career high school college and all that worth remembering that damn near every nba player is the best player on most of the teams yeah. ever been on and he hasn't really done it through jumpers other than the portland game he hadn't made a three at all until that game but he made four of them yeah I, I, on that score real quick uh kalena azabuki was talking about it on the warriors broadcast that They'd been working with him to find uh, a workable three-point shot, and he normally takes like a, a jumper and really like jumps as high as he can. He's pretty explosive. That doesn't work for a lot of guys from NBA three. They'd been working with him on a set shot; it hadn't been going in. So he went back to the jump shot, and that's what he was shooting against the Blazers, and obviously shot it really well there after uh, being zero of eight from three in the first few games. But what has been most notable to me, and you see this on both ends of the floor, is his physical strength and players who maybe are a little bit shorter and especially if they have longer wingspans Draymond Green is another example of this if they're strong enough they can make a lot of things work and his and Pascal's combination of effort and strength has worked well on the glass at times especially in that Portland game but also just like getting into position and if that's for a rebound a putback or just getting to a shot he's he's benefited a lot from that 
Yeah, I, he completely dominated P.J. Washington, who, I mean, P.J. Washington was like a college power forward slash center, and Pascal was just going right through him on ISOs. He even had some nice plays uh, against Marvin Williams, uh, who's uh, got some good old man strength who they put in specifically to guard Pascal. He likes going to his left more especially uh pulling up for the jump shot when he pulls up for that jumper from mid-range he gets great elevation he's even getting tapped on the elbow a lot uh because he's just getting up that much higher above his defender and you know if he gets even the slightest shoulder past these guys he's just going right through him even a lot of power forward size guys he's got pretty good quickness he can make that jump shot in the mid-range they started just going to him in isos randomly he i mean i'm guessing that wasn't part of the game plan he just had a couple of drives on washington in the flow of the game and then kerr was going to you know four one pick and rolls with them to try to get the switch and have him back in uh in the charlotte game and then portland i thought actually defended a little bit better than charlotte but he did hit those threes had 17 in the first quarter got to the foul line for 10 out of 10 uh and his finishing around the rim danny he's just really explosive as well when he gets there yeah and that is fueling so far a full 43 percent of his shots have come inside three feet and he has made 81 percent of those you know that'll tone down a little bit but it, it does show how he's been able to be such an efficient offensive player 68 percent true shooting on 19 percent usage so far with that usage skyrocketing every game d'angelo russell and draymond green do not play yeah, I'm really interested to see Russell's not going to play tonight against Houston. We're recording this Wednesday afternoon because we're doing the NBA cast tonight. Uh, so we'll get to see this same group again. Dream on Green is not going on the road trip with that finger issue. Kevon Looney's going to be out another two weeks with that hamstring neuropathy. Russell sounds like he'll probably be back on Friday. Uh, Drew Schiller noted that D'Angelo Russell had 19 pick and roll possessions in that game against the Spurs when he had 30 points on 9 out of 24 very Russell-esque game uh, on Friday and then he, he sat out the last two and they did not do as much pick and roll with Russell in the games that, that Curry was healthy so how are they going to integrate him now this has been a harder playing unit faster playing unit they definitely could use somewhat Russell is going to bring but they actually scored pretty well in these last couple of games even you know powered by some pretty good mid-range shooting another thing to watch having Russell back is really going to help because it'll just minimize the role of Jordan Poole who's been starting over Damian Lee who's the, the other two-way guy if you're actually trying to win games that's a ridiculous decision Poole might end up being the worst rotation player in the NBA this year he's shooting 21% from two right now hitting 33% from downtown and he does take some relatively difficult attempts but uh, his usage is 22 percent and his true shooting is 43 percent and he's not making up for it defensively he's actually been a little better than i expected he's got uh, at least some understanding defensively on rotation and getting steals he's been a little more physical than i thought he would be but overall you know certainly not a, a positive defensive player so uh, and you know he's being gifted 25 30 minutes a game right now uh, all right, you want to move on to Houston? Yeah, let's do it. The Rockets are 4-3. and three. They're actually 26th in net rating, negative 5.9, largely due to that just demolition at the hands of the Miami Heat. They are 9th in offense, 28th in defense. And for me, this came up a little bit in the time to panic, but I want to, I want to emphasize it again. They are currently, the Rockets are 28th in, in three-point percentage. 31% from three. They're dead last in mate in mid rangers, 30% from there. While opponents are have the league best three point percentage and the third best for mid range. And so you think about just even just like those falling to the mean will end up making a huge difference. 
yeah now a huge difference in that they won't be one of the worst defenses but i think there are some causes for concern and john hollinger had a nice piece today and he talked about how their shot quality defense is still pretty bad that's like around 20th still and to get to where this team needs to be they've got to get a lot better than that eric gordon is really really struggling offensively john noted that he's not getting to the basket that much Uh, he's shooting extremely poorly from three i mean again i think this offense is going to get up to being at minimum a top five unit maybe better than that and so you know is the defense going to be 12th or is it going to be 20th or is it going to be 25th uh daryl morey uh, had a, a conversation with the athletics kelly eco the athletic.com slash space by the way to read all this stuff we're talking about here saying that he still thinks they're going to be a top 10 unit by the end of the year and remember they started perhaps even worse than this last year and ended up being a top five defense over the last couple months of the year so it, it certainly is possible i do think they are going to need some reinforcements they have a very very thin group right now and also let's not forget that they traded chris paul for russell westbrook who i mean that's a clear defensive downgrade that's something that we talked about uh throughout at least most of the game um how have things changed for russ this year in houston we have seen some of the expected maury ball shifts in russell in westbrook shots fewer deep twos fewer straight up mid-rangers a little bit more from floater range but you know you have you're taking something away it's totally reasonable and thankfully because he's only shooting 25 percent um most of those aren't going to three they're going to the basket he's shooting 41 percent now of his shots there which is up from 36 percent that's great because Russell Westbrook is very good in those shots and he's doing better on them which is not a surprise with Houston's dramatically better spacing and then the other important part and part of why you and I thought he would be much more efficient this year is that his free throw rate has increased as well last year free throw rate was 30.6%. This year, it's all the way up to 38%, which is not to the level of his, you know, peaks in Oklahoma City, like the MVP or anything like that, but it is still very strong. And so it's not, you know, a full transformation, at least at this stage, but a lot of little component pieces that help make for a more efficient offensive player. It'd also be nice if he could make a free throw. He's at 67% again this year. There's talk that his free throw routine got changed around by the rules that you're not allowed to leave the free throw line area but i mean that's you've had plenty of time to adjust at this point like that's not really a very good excuse Uh, um encouraging is that he had 33 dunks last year he already has seven this year so he's gonna blow past that number most likely uh, and that's even with missing that memphis game uh for load management looks like that's gonna continue to occur also of note james harden is averaging 16 free throw attempts per game and that's just a completely insane number and he's got over 40 percent usage for the the season so i I, he's right up around the same level i i predicted before the season that his numbers weren't going to drop that much even with russ and that's been the case last thing too you know they're shooting so poorly from three 28th uh in three-point percentage 30.6 percent simply by having the shot distribution that they do even when they're not hitting threes even if you change those mid those shots into mid-rangers and you made league average 40 percent it's still better to be taking those shots even when you're 28th and three-point percentage so their shot distribution still helps them even when they're shooting at this poorly from three so people are like don't shoot so many threes well that they'd be even worse off even with the, the poor percentage that they're shooting right now. I also want one last note. I want to see what their offensive rating looks like after the next three games, because Wednesday, Golden State, Saturday, Chicago, Monday, New Orleans, though that could be New Orleans with Derek Favors. Hopefully it is still 
they have a chance to make some real hay while the sun is shining. All right, let's talk Clippers. The Clippers are 5-2, and two, and they're currently ninth in net rating. They are third in offense and 17th in defense, causing a little bit of a media dust-up, something Seth Partnow and I actually talked about on Real Gym Radio, which will be out soon, uh, because they are sitting Kawhi Leonard again in a nationally televised game on Wednesday against the Milwaukee Bucks. And... Should, should we talk about that a little bit? If you want to. Yeah, I, I mean, there's this big dust up. The league said, hey, you know, he's still recovering from a, a knee injury. I don't know whether that's the opposite knee injury that from the quad that he was dealing with in last year's playoff or whether they're talking about the quad there, but that uh, he, he's still being managed. This isn't just a healthy player sitting out for rest to, at this point. They have a back-to-back tonight and tomorrow. Tomorrow night is against the Blazers. Both on national TV, by the way, and that creates some problems too. Well, and that's part of the reason for that is, you know, there are these Thursday games on TNT. Most of the league plays on Wednesdays and Fridays. So you're just going to have a disproportionate amount of those Thursday games, one being a back-to-back one way or the other. And so, yeah, that does make things a, a little difficult. Clearly, they're doing the right thing here. He didn't play a single back-to-back last year. Oh, hey, and the Raptors won the championship. Now, that doesn't mean just because they won the championship that it's the right decision. But But he was also the best player in the conference finals in the finals. That probably helped. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, and even if they lose in the second round, he still was unbelievable in that second round. He was the only reason they even made it to a Game 7. So, And he has publicly said that he credits the load management for him being able to be a champion at the end of the year. And so you probably wouldn't want to stray from that when he could be a free agent in two years, number one, just for your relationship with the player. And it really seems to be working for him. And he's trying to listen to his body. They're trying to listen to his body. So clearly it's in their best interest for him to do this. The league, we talked about it. They just need to have fewer games. It just doesn't make sense anymore. The NBA is way harder. All these people who just want to call him a wuss, call modern players a wuss. I mean, there's always going to be uh, that reactionary element of the population. Uh, too bad. You know, oh, Michael Jordan played 82 games. Well, number one, Michael Jordan was a freak. Number two, Jordan took like years at a time off. And the game was way, way easier back then because you just didn't have to cover the amount of ground that you have to cover on a possession-by-possession basis. And also, these guys play way too much when they're younger as well compared to guys back then. They come into the league a little damaged. Baxter Holmes had, had a great story about that so yes i completely feel for the fans it sucks for us we're probably gonna have fewer viewers on the nba cast tonight because Kawhi Leonard is not playing and it's really kind of too late to change it and hey guess who's playing in the early game is golden state so we're not doing that game um but this is clearly the right decision for the clippers this is an issue for the league as a whole not Kawhi being a wuss or the clippers just like trying to steal fans money they're trying to win a championship we've already talked about Kawhi's growth as a distributor but something that i think is notable is that the his role within the offense as a clipper is is meaningfully different than as a raptor the most striking part of that is him having the ball in his hands through pick and roll so last year 27.4% of his possessions, which was a lot, you know, like that, that seemed like a significant part of it, especially when you factor in transition, some of the other ways. And that is all the way up from 27% to 44% as a Clipper. And also he's basically not spotting up, you know, like that. some of those gains have come from spot ups. Some of them have also come from isolations, both of which like he's a very good player, but you think about how that can create a different set, a different set of things for the offense. Yeah. And by the way, to, to be clear, this is compared to last year's playoffs. 
Oh, okay. Thank, uh, thanks for mentioning that. Which I thought might be, be a little bit more relevant. As a proxy. Uh, yeah, yeah when, when we're talking about comparing how he's playing. Now, part of why he's using so much in pick roll, number one, he's been awesome at it. Number two, look at the unit that he's starting with. He has been staggered from Lou Williams a fair amount. There's really nobody else to run pick and roll. He's playing with Patrick Beverly, Shamit, and two bigs. So they're going to throw the ball to him every single time. And his usage reflects that crazy high usage 40.1 percent and that's way above where he's been before he's been in the the low 30s before that and and the distribution here on this team and there's an argument that maybe teams should especially in the regular season should be distributed this way 30 percent usage for lou williams 40 percent usage for Kawhi. trez has 24 usage and then everyone else is like way down low because those guys have mostly been play finishers and they've done so very efficiently so far by the way remember patrick patterson was on fire to start the year hitting the three now he's right back down to being inefficient so uh, i think it's only a matter of time when paul george comes back that could happen in theory as early as next week uh, as he's been ramping up his activity level and maybe that, that'll be the last that we'll see of patterson in the rotation uh at least when everyone is healthy and anything else that sticks out uh, about these guys that you want to talk about i mean we'll talk plenty about the clippers at other points of the season we can move on to another team we'll talk plenty about during the season the los angeles lakers they're six and one that only loss was to the clippers on opening night they are now fourth in net rating 16th in offense fourth in defense and there are a lot of different angles that we'll talk about with the Lakers, but one of the one things that I found really notable about them early on, and this was true even before the, the game against Chicago where they had this big comeback, also part of that was with LeBron and AD off the floor, is that in the 151 possessions that the Lakers have played with Davis on the floor and without LeBron, not that LeBron is the culprit here, they have a 99-3 defensive rating, which is absolutely fabulous. And they still have a negative net rating in those minutes because they can't score at all. And that's a storyline that I want to keep watching is the non-LeBron Lakers offense. But part of it is Dwight Howard's done a really nice job and he's been an important part of some of those groups. Yeah. Howard, but also I think, leading the NBA in block percentage last time I looked at it. And, and his field goal percentage, I believe the last time I looked was ridiculous too. And also I think AD, you know, we talked about his, his growth too defensively and you could see that, you see it throughout the game, but I think you also see it in those minutes. He's been more aggressive. Yeah, and... uh Leftover from our mailbag last week, uh, Diltron99 asked, uh, what are the biggest differences so far between NOLA AD and Laker AD? Number one, I'd say defensively, he's really just been an absolute monster this year. You just cannot score around him at the basket. He's leading the NBA and actually blocks per game as of this recording we'll go back to some of his numbers from 17 18 with new Orleans because last year was so messed up for him the biggest thing that sticks out offensively is he's nearly doubled the amount of times that he's posting up and remember there was that stat against the clippers from opening night that ad had the most post-ups finished in a possession in his career in that first game as laker that's toned down a little bit but 34 percent of his possessions now are being finished in the post and he's been quite efficient on that basically a point per possession when you consider that those are all half court possessions and don't include the value of offensive rebounds that's a very good number and certainly a lot of those come in from that memphis game when he was 26 to 27 from the foul line had 40 and 20 before the third quarter was over that time Uh, so getting to the foul line a lot has been huge as a pick and roll roll man he was much better in new orleans that team had uh, more spacing especially once cousins went down even cousins was playing as a stretch big there as well uh they also had rondo to set him up and rondo has his other foibles but he is an excellent pick and roll passer uh 
his mid-ranger is not going in for him at all right now. Uh, as a spot-up guy, still less with the Lakers. I mean, he just has to create more of his own offense individually. And that was a criticism that he's not able to do that. But he's continued to add that to his game one thing we haven't seen quite as much of is i think he's missed some passes this year with the lakers whereas last year with the pels and this is now last year not 17 18 where he really in the early part of the year he's getting up to four assists a game you know we haven't seen that level of passing from him i think he's still trying to get used to again playing with the another traditional big either mickey or howard has been on the floor probably for i would guess like 85 90 percent of his minutes so far it's really only that one game against the Jazz where they were struggling with Gobert where he played center for a significant portion of it. So everything looks good to so far and the beauty is since he's not the number one scorer most of the time, if he has an off night, it's not the end of the world and he still has that gravity as a role man. He still can contribute defensively but they can still get enough like they did against the bulls last night by the way if you're if you're a lakers fan we talked about their win against the bulls last night on yesterday's show if, it, if you want to hear more about that um you want to talk briefly about where lebron is so far this year i mean after we were worried about him after that first game since then he's looked unbelievable yeah i mean and, and it is great to see i mean yeah i'm up now to 58 percent true shooting on 32 percent users that's a higher usage rate than he had last season as a laker though obviously he was dealing with injury for part of that time uh, 30% PER, three pointers, still not all the way there. So you think about the, think about those overall efficiency numbers and despite shooting 29% right now from three, but he's been wonderful as an assist guy. He had a couple of mind blowers in that win over the Bulls, including one to Anthony Davis for a corner three, which was pretty damn exciting. And he had a couple to Quinn Cook as well. And he is the absolute linchpin of this offense with an assist rate over 50% right now. Yeah, he may end up leading the league in assists. That's something we talked about as a possibility. Now, his two-point percentage is down. You mentioned the three-point shooting hasn't necessarily been there yet. This reminds me a little bit, as you go through looking at his two-point percentage, his early years in Miami, you know, he was in the 55% range. Then the last two years in Miami, he's over 60% because they stopped playing with two traditional picks. Then he goes back to Cleveland. The first year, remember, under David Blatt, they actually defended okay, but it was a lot of Mozgov and Thompson together with that team. Or, or if they played Love, it was still with, with Thompson or Mozgov as well. Love then went out in the playoffs. So he really didn't have nearly as much space to operate. He also was dealing with the, some injury issues then. And so this year, again, you know, he's playing with two traditional bigs. The way that they are playing, I mean, their defense has been really, really good so far, and Howard has been a huge part of that. The offense has been a little bit disappointing. These are kind of ugly games for them, and LeBron can grind that out. He's got that ability in the half court with he and AD, but it's not going to be like incredibly pretty for this Lakers offense as long as they're going to play McGee and Howard at big minutes here. Are we ready to jump to the Minnesota Timberwolves? Yeah, Grizzlies we're going to skip uh, because uh, Ben's going to come on, our director of basketball research, Ben Dull, to talk about them at the end what do you got on the wolves minnesota four and two they are have a positive net rating uh just over 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 the waterline 19th in offense and 14th in defense and the question for just like with dallas with them is is are they for real and there are a couple of genuinely positive signs and beyond carl anthony towns being an absolute demon a lot of those positive signs are on defense yeah, forcing turnovers has been the linchpin of that defense so far. And remember, this is a team that has really been in the 20s, God, since time immemorial, essentially, defensively, except for that brief halcyon period where Robert Covington came over last year. They had about a month and a half where they're actually defending. Well, Covington is healthy this year. 
Josh Okogie is getting some time as well. Towns has taken a step forward defensively. Still not amazing, but he hasn't been killing them. You know, you don't see just the complete falling asleep plays that you used to from him. Jeff Teague is healthy again. That's helped them also. And so this team is looking like at maybe they can be an average defense. Uh, and they're doing that with opponents shooting 39% from three and also shooting pretty well for mid-range. So if the turnover rate comes down in terms of forcing turnovers, they'll probably get a little bit better opponent shooting luck as well. So there actually isn't anything in here that seems that unsustainable that, you know, they can at least be a below average defense at a minimum instead of an, an atrocious defense. And their offense is kind of middling, uh, you know, 16th uh, or, or 19th in offensive rating. But that keeps in mind that Carl Anthony Towns has missed two games due to suspension. And when he's on the floor, they've been a complete monster. 114.7 offensive rating, and they are plus 6.9 when he's on the floor. When they are off the floor, the defense has gotten a little bit better, but they have a 100 offensive rating, and they're negative 4.1 when he's off the floor. So the offense is going to get better as long as Carl Anthony Towns plays, and as long as he doesn't get suspended, his track record is that he's going to play. One other quick thing I wanted to talk about with them. There is a lot of small sample size fun in this, but so far this year, Carl Anthony Towns has a 57% true shooting on 26 usage when he plays with Andrew Wiggins in 98 minutes. And that goes to 96% true shooting on 33% usage in the 26 minutes Towns has played without Wiggins. And I went back through the last four years and not surprisingly, the true shooting, first of all, that kind of disparity is ridiculous. But second of all, I was interested that in all but one year, the usage difference was was real. And so basically the idea that when, when and there are some sample things, you know, cross correlations and everything of starters versus non-starters and everything else. But any possession Andrew Wiggins takes away from Carl Anthony Towns is, other than in like transition is probably a bad thing. And it's not like Wiggins is such a good defender or some of these other things where it, it, you could justify it because of, because of what it is on the other end. And so it gets into this question of, would Minnesota be even better if the only change that they could do is just pretend that Josh Okogi was the, was the highly ranked draft pick and Andrew Wiggins was the lower pick who doesn't have a max contract? Wiggins is getting a little more efficient. I mean, obviously sure. we've made these points many a time. I, I agree with you. But just to note that he, he was off to a terrible start to the year, he's at least coming around a little bit shooting the ball he's up to 33 percent from downtown now um, a few other small notes uh, on them jeff teague is having a really nice year largely on the strength of mid-range shooting but also getting to the foul line it's on 48 percent free throw rate he looks much better just in terms of how he's moving around the floor uh, and just getting competent point guard play i mean that's really what torpedoed them last year when they had all these point guard injuries Jared Culver got some attention for having a high-scoring game against the Wizards in their blowout win without Towns, which was a nice one for them. Uh, he did have 20 points on 8 of 17 in that game, 4 of 9 from 3, but he also had 6 turnovers, and uh, much of that was compiled in garbage time as that game was a, a blowout after... Uh, Minnesota was actually they won by 21 but they're actually up 30 after the third quarter so he played basically the whole fourth quarter did a lot of it then uh did hit the three I mean just good to see him getting those three pointers up we'll see whether that aspect sustains or not but 
the six turnovers is a little concerning and, you know and that's the good game that he's had uh, overall it's been a, a struggle for him interested to see whether he moves further into the rotation or not they are getting some good minutes from jake layman gorgie jang was unearthed to start that game and actually had 18 points on seven of nine so that backup center battle will be an interesting one also with the noah vonley has been the main guy there we'll see whether jang starts taking some of his minutes and uh, that's about all I got on these guys. Let's move on to the Pels. Well, it has been a disappointing start to the season for the Pelicans in the record department. One in six, 20th in net rating, fourth in offense, and 29th in defense. The broader picture stuff, has, especially with Zion being out, has been, well, how do, how do their new additions look at the overall picture? And I think the biggest place there, especially with Zion not playing, is with Brandon Ingram. Yeah, Ingram has had an incredible start to the year his last game against brooklyn which they lost he was absolutely ridiculous they were a good matchup for him because he likes to get into the mid-range he shot 13 of 16 in that game on twos outside of the restricted area and that's not his shooting the ball well for mid-range is not entirely unprecedented i think he was in the mid 40s last year as a laker what is entirely unprecedented is the way that he shot the ball from three though the volume is so far up from where it, it used to be. We've talked about this a little bit of four, before, but per 36 minutes, 1.9 three-point attempts last year, 5.7 this year, and he is shooting 49% from downtown. He's also shooting 58% on twos. And yes, he's looked better, but this is just, this shooting is not sustainable. He's not getting the foul line as much for him. He did have 40 in that game. That was, that was good. And they also really need him to score with Zion out. But he's actually taking far fewer of his shots at the rim. Career low, 18% of his shots at the rim. Last year was 34%. Still shooting about... Uh, now, the good news is he's at least traded those for threes, essentially, as opposed to mid-rangers. And, of course, uh, the crazy mid-range shooting he is at. 58% from floater range, 64% from 10 to 16 feet, which the good news is he's getting there. And, you know, that's a much easier shot if you can get it than that 16 to 23 foot range, you know, taking a, a jumper from the free throw line and in, and he's got the size to get to that point. Making that shot is important for him because he doesn't necessarily have the explosion to blow by his guy. He kind of works into position and shoots over him. He's uh, and he's been a big part of this Pell's number four offense. They're shooting extremely well from three. Again, I just don't think they have that type of personnel to keep this up. And he's been a big driver of that. So clearly steps forward have been made. I mean, the, just the amount of threes that he's shooting. That's great. He hasn't really been able to help their terrible defense so far. I haven't really noticed him being terrible uh, defensively, but it's he's not contributing positively. I think with the, how bad their defense has been, we can conclude that at a minimum. So certainly very encouraging. I want to see how the rest of this year plays out. I also, the fact that he's shooting the ball like this makes it much more viable now that he can play next to Zion. And if you're playing next to Zion, it doesn't matter as much that you're not getting all the way to the rim because he'll take care of, of getting your team shots around the basket. So that was my biggest concern with him on this team was his fit with Zion. If he just takes enough threes, yeah, he's not going to shoot 49% on this type of volume the rest of the year. But if he can even take, can take this volume and shoot 36% the rest of the year, that's a massive improvement and a huge harbinger of his ability to play with Zion. A couple other things I wanted to talk about. One, you, you brought up his reduction in shots at the rim. There's also a, co uh, a, a tied-in reduction in his free throw attempt rate. 
And yeah. that's that's a little bit of a concern. He's shooting this is the best Ingram shot from the free throw line in his career. Very good. But also, I've been very encouraged that he's been both more willing and more adept as a passer. And it's still early, still, you know, you get into whether whether the guys make the shots on the passes that you give them. But for example, he's doing very well as a pick and roll scorer. You know, one point one point two points per possession is is really, really good. But when you add in his passing, that actually goes up to one point three. And I wonder what Ingram's ideal role is in the actualized version of these Pelicans. But it, those are just passing, you know, being a willing passer is a skill that can be applicable in a lot of different circumstances. And I'm very encouraged by that. Yeah, you mentioned uh, some of his possession type numbers. Last year, spotted up 13% of the time. This year, 23% of the time. And even with his usage up, that's the highest number for him is spotting up. And he's just been absolutely ridiculous, as mentioned, for the three-point shooting. Uh, 55 points on 36 spot-up possessions, which is insane. Let's turn to the Oklahoma City Thunder. They sit at 3-4. and four. But 10th in net rating, largely fueled by a blowout of the Warriors. They had that inexplicable loss at home where they just couldn't score against the Wizards. They are 26th in offense, which is bad. They are 3rd in defense, which is good. Giving up fewer than 1 point per possession. Less than 1 point per possession, I should say. Had a question from uh, Pike underscore Andrew on Twitter, left over from the mailbag. Where does Steven Adams play after the trade deadline? My instinct is that he's still playing in Oklahoma City because not not necessarily because they're going to be super aggressive about keeping Adams, but because he isn't really the right. I mean, it's hard to see the huge constituency for for Adams at this point. Also, because he's not an expiring contract like this. He has twenty five eight this year, but then another twenty seven point five million for next season. And while teams are not aggressively pursuing or hoarding or whatever. 2020 cap space that is a really big commitment for adams and with the way the center position goes we've we've talked about the idea of scarcity and all that but adams is a good player but what general manager is identifying adams specifically him and not anybody else that you could get for cheaper as the reason that their team you know the, the person who can push them over the top and Oklahoma City, with all the other guys coming off the books, they don't have the same fiscal urgency to move him as they would have if this, they were trying to rapidly duck the tax and all that kind of stuff. Like I think they'll be okay either way. So my instinct is he sticks around. Yeah, I think you're probably right, because what's the price for him? I wouldn't want to give up a first-round pick for him making $27 million, which I think is about where he's at by the end of this year uh, and going into next year. I The idea of Portland occurred to me, but they don't want that contract for next year because presumably Nurkic will be back at full strength at that point. You know, you would have thought maybe they could trade Whiteside for him. You know, Adams is better than Whiteside, to be sure, uh, but do you want to take on another $27 million for next year when you already have a, a, arguably a better starting center, almost certainly a better starting center, at least when he was healthy, in Nurkic? The other, uh, uh, well, I shouldn't say the other, but a cause for concern with Oklahoma City is that third in defense is not going to continue. There's nothing particularly special about their shot distribution that they're allowing they are number one in e-field goal percentage allowed and that is because opponents are shooting 28 percent from three and also shooting very poorly from mid-range they are holding down opponents at the rim which uh, they've long been pretty good at adams nerlens noel 
some of the athletic wings that they have uh, i think help there so that that aspect of their performance might sustain it how are they in the other three factors defensively the answer is not great i i actually have it in front of me i thought you did oh but, no uh, I, I didn't i didn't have it in front of me at the moment <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean we have so many windows open when we're right. when we're doing these pods it's like sometimes i just have to like click through all 10 of them yeah um yeah maybe they're missing russ on the defensive glass i don't think that's not my current theory of it but hmm? Yeah, I mean, Gallo is not some great defensive rebounder. But yeah, I mean, they are 18th or worse in the other three, four factors. They're not forcing turnovers the way they used to back in the day. And I just think Gallinari, relying on him at this point, is pretty tough. And I think Adams is a solid defensive center, but he's not going to make up for it that much. Um and yeah, you know, I think they're, you're right. They may miss him on the on the, Russ on the defensive glass. Uh, they are a below average defensive rebounding group. Well, and it, it is also worth noting that he has been incredibly durable in his career, but Adams has missed two of their seven games, and I think that has hurt them as well. Yeah, because Nerlens Noel is a, a little undersized, and they don't. And same with Mike Muscala. Chris Paul early returns uh, on him. Biggest difference is he's actually spotting up a little bit more and isolating a bit less. Teams just are not switching Oklahoma City quite as much. He still is isolating a fair amount. I think that there's that is a strategy that teams are going to against Chris Paul. But he's been about the same in terms of point per possession. Oh no, I'm sorry, I, I misspoke there. Uh, he's actually been worse isolating this year, 0.72 points per possession as opposed to last year when he was above average at 0.91. And remember the year before that, obviously he was just like absolutely crazy. As a pick and roll ball handler, he has been outstanding. And so what does that tell you? That tells you we need to switch Chris Paul because if we play conventional pick and roll defense, he's going to get to that elbow jumper. Or if we bring help in from the wings, he's going to carve us up. So the switch is the way to go uh, against him in pick and roll. Not everyone has the personnel for that. But I think even kind of your average mobility center at this point in time can do okay enough against Chris Paul. You know, for for some left, he's not going to get all the way to the rim and finish. He's going to try and draw fouls. Uh, I think Chris Paul is still a pretty good player. I think he's a, a the upgrade from him. We talked about the downgrade in Houston, the upgrade from Russ to him defensively where you just he doesn't make nearly as many mistakes it is really helping uh so he's certainly on the downside you don't expect him to be some unbelievable iso player he's also shooting the lights out uh, on spot ups right now which is a pretty limited part of the offense ready for phoenix yeah let's do it the suns are a remarkable five and two second in the league in net rating plus 10 points per 100 possessions eighth in offense fifth in defense and let's go back to the question are they for real so the defense is not for real at least to the extent of being fifth in the nba and that's before deandre Ayton is going to come back yeah i know he had one really good game but let's see if that continues i mean he had the best game of his career i think certainly he'll be better but i don't know if he's going to be a plus defensively so there's that aspect but they got obviously 20 more games before he's going to come back they are allowing a ton of shots at the rim, but as as we noted in this last week, they are third in defending at the rim, and they're also third in quote-unquote defending on floaters. So I don't see that continuing, and Aaron Baines typically has not been a great rim protector. Frank Kaminsky has not been a great rim protector. Dario Saric is somehow averaging 1.4 blocks per game. I don't see that continuing. They're pretty small at backup power forward. So it would be a big surprise to me 
I mean, now we've seen Portland play really conservative schemes at times and hold down opponent shooting at the rim, even when they didn't have the best rim protector. So I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think it's more likely than not that number is going to get back towards the middle of the league. Uh, one thing that will continue, or, or I don't know that it will continue, but is good and is sustainable is that they are third in preventing threes. Uh, but they also have the eighth best three point percentage allowed in the NBA. So that's something that could regress as well. I feel comfortable saying that they are not in fact going to be one of the worst defenses in the league. They're also forcing turnovers at a fantastic rate right now. Rubio, Bridges have been some of the key guys there. Devin Booker, just his effort looks so much better to me as well. I think that's a reason why this can continue. I mean, they just, they don't have any guys who are just awful anymore defensively and i thought booker i mean he's had some really nice individual moments hollinger talked about that in our first pot even uh and ben did a nice clip of some of his defense from the first game which we shared on twitter and he had some nice moments against josh richardson as well forced a shot clock violation on him in that philly game and so maybe we can talk a little bit about what we saw in that philly game on monday night where Booker was Ugh. absolutely ridiculous. It was the best. I, I think it was the best I've seen him play. And no, but he had seventy points against the Celtics. Didn't you know that? I, I am aware. They yes. only lost by fifteen in that game. And part of it is the degree of difficulty. I mean, he was doing damage on whoever, whomever. I guess the Sixers put in front of him. He absolutely just eviscerated Ben Simmons on that on that ISO with the one of the just a beautiful hesitation. And well, and, what, and it was so nice too because he had just stroked an elbow jumper in his face and then he the next possession he faked the elbow jumper with the hesitation and blew right by him yeah and and had some nice finishes uh driving by al horford you know obviously a remarkable defender and something that i've really liked from booker's profile and this kind of ties in with with an idea that at least as of right now we were both critical of and at least mostly and and are wrong so far is that booker with rubio is working better than I anticipated. And part of that is is not a surprise that, you know, getting a higher proportion of his shots assisted. Generally, that means better shots for different people. And Booker toning down his assist rate, you know, he, he did have some really positive things there, though some of that was their point guards being so just abysmal last year. But I think that it's it's putting Booker in a better better position where he doesn't have to do everything himself. And so he's being more effective when the opportunity when the when the need strikes. And I think that's really helped. Yeah, he's getting three or four buckets a game on just kind of cuts around the room. And I think one of the things that I love about their offense is whenever someone has a size advantage, Booker frequently has a size advantage on whoever he's guarding. Sharich, a lot of teams play small at the four now, and he's a, a tough player. Uh, Frank Kaminsky, a, a lot of times, will have a size advantage if there's any kind of a switch. It's really part of what they're doing, whether it's in transition, just uh, quick high-low passes, whatever it is, to just duck in hard right at the charge circle, two feet in the paint, and either draw fouls, force the other team to rotate behind to prevent a lob if they're fronting, and that can open up stuff on the backside, uh, or just get the ball right in for a layup. And just those quick opportunity plays, I think that's been a big part of why their offense has been so good. The other part, which might regress, is you know Aaron Baines is not going to be a forty nine percent three point shooter. I, I think he's just pretending that he's playing against Philly every game now. 
but I mean he certainly deserves a ton of credit I think he's looks like he's going to be a threat as a stretch big even as a pick and pop big but he's not going to shoot you know in the high 40s from three all year Booker is right around 50 percent from three as well he's getting easier looks to be sure and more off ball stuff but again that's not going to continue they've got a lot of guys shooting a little over their heads Kaminsky is the one guy who can't hit anything from downtown which we warned might be a problem where he just for the only time his NBA career he shot it really well the last two months but he'd been a 30 percent low 30s three-point shooter for the rest of his career and uh, that's been the case so far I think he still gets guarded out there which is good uh, and having 48 minutes of stretch big has really opened things up we mentioned how well those post-ups have been working well that works great when you've got the center out of the three-point line trying to guard Baines or Kaminsky you can get these smaller guys posting up right under the rim um, and, and also just Booker looks he looks more athletic, I, and I've just really have been uh, impressed by him so far. He's got 65% true shooting on 29% usage right now. Blazers? Oh, actually, yeah, let's do an ad first. From our friends at Kettlebell Kitchen, I've tried meal kits before, but frankly, during the season, it's tough for me to have the time to cook. Kettlebell Kitchen actually ships the nutrition that I need to me without having to cook it. It comes in some very nice packaging, no styrofoam. Heat up the microwave in a couple of minutes and you're ready to rock. They've got all sorts of different meal plans. Keto, which I was doing for a while when I needed to lose some weight after my decadent road trip that I took this summer. Vegetarian, Whole30, paleo options, uh, all available. You can get them delivered to your door twice a week for optimal freshness. Or you can even just order a la carte. You don't have to do a long-term contract or a plan. Some of these other meal plans, it's just really difficult to cancel it. They just kind of hope that they're going to get some extra money from you because you're just too lazy to cancel it. That's not the case, obviously, with Kettlebell. If you just feel like you need it for a week or two, that's great. You can do it. They also even give you, uh, with some of the plans that you can sign up for, a free nutritional consult which i thought was really good i've actually am doing time restricted eating now as a result of that consult and been feeling pretty pretty good about it i like to eat a lot but if i limit that to eight hours a day apparently that helps me a lot so thanks to cav at kettlebell kitchen for giving me some good information on that and uh oh yeah tastes great i thought that their pesto and eggs was really just fantastic they throw some ground turkey in there as well that was a, a wonderful breakfast they gave me that i really enjoyed so you can feed the champion in you with Kettlebell Kitchen. Go to Kettlebell, like the weight, kettlebellkitchen.com, and enter that familiar cap space code that can get you $25 off each of your first two orders for new customers. That's $25 off each of your first two orders at kettlebellkitchen.com. Don't forget that cap space code. Let them know that you came from us. All right, the Portland Trailblazers, they were vanquished in a pretty tough loss. It might be a candidate for worst loss when we do our awards. Gave up 34 to Eric Paschal on monday against the warriors we saw that in person and they now sit at three and four slightly positive net rating although that still is 18th in the nba because the bad teams have been much worse than the good teams early on the the warriors and kings seventh in offense 22nd in defense and with some of the injuries that they had the prospects of improving that defense are kind of right where they're supposed to be on offense maybe they can get a little bit better there but the prospects of improving that defense are waning it was remarkable i mean you even talked about it before the game we were just chatting about what we thought we would see at chase that portland just doesn't have 
the personnel to defend basically any dynamic forward. They don't, you know, like they're they're relying a lot on Bazemore and Rodney Hood and Mario Hazonia and Pascal ate them up absolutely. Just you know, and, and making the threes helped, and and there were certain scheme things that 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 Stotts system does help, but he, it it's hard to really think of against certain opponents how they're how they're going to stop that that team and then it comes down to you know are, does that opponent want to get a lot at the rim can can Hassan Whiteside do that and also something to keep track of with this team especially now that Hassan Whiteside is basically their only big is the Blazers have fouled a ton so far this season they're they're second to last in in opponent free throw attempt rate and I don't particularly expect that to change yeah, and they used to avoid fouling by keeping teams out of the paint, and that's been difficult, but they're just going to get overwhelmed physically. I mean, guys are going to get in the lane, and they had a lot of bad fouls in that Warriors game in particular, but if you're relying on guys that are too small and getting physically overwhelmed, whether it's on the offensive glass, Whiteside just has always been a big fouler. They might actually be helped by Collins being out because he fouls a lot, but it's just, I don't know where the defense is coming from. Offensively, Dame Lillard has been fantastic again 40 percent from three right now he's taking 10 a game 30.7 per 64 percent true shooting i mean he's been awesome so far it's a little bit of a concern he's been this good and they're three and four they also haven't played like the hardest schedule in the world either and they got the clippers coming up on thursday but cj mccollum has been a, a disappointment again so far this year he really needs to get close to 30 or 40 percent from three given his shot profile and his floater has been way off this year I expected him to come in and absolutely dominate Jordan Poole in that game. I mean, that's one of the easier matchups he's going to have all year. And just he had 12 points. And this is still two years of his current contract left before that three-year extension that he signed kicks in. And yes, he I think he's probably a more valuable offensive player in the playoffs than he is in the regular season. But he had somewhat of a down regular season last year also. And this is his age 28 year. I also think that we'd hope that their offense would benefit from having more shooting on the floor with Aminu and Harkless out and some of these smaller guards who are shooters in. Kent Bazemore hasn't shot at that well. That's uh, been part of the problem. Rodney Hood has. But I don't know that McCollum benefits from the additional spacing because he's kind of just creating space on his guy in the mid-range a lot. He's not getting all the way to the rim. He's not even activating that second level of help that is coming from there being more spacing. So he may not be the type of player who benefits from having that much space. Now, when you get into the playoffs, it's nice to have someone who can just score in an ISO where it's hard to bring help. But for right now, he's got to find a way to be more efficient. Um, that said, though, it's been a major struggle for them when they've gone with the non-Dame, non-CJ minutes, uh, regardless of, of CJ's individual play so far. Yeah, it, it's only 66 possessions. So that's not much at all. But they've been annihilated. Negative 18.2 net rating. And there are a series of reasons why teams stagger yeah. their best well, so players. So 66 possession, that's basically, what, 30 minutes? So yeah. they're, they're, they are staggering those guys more than they did last year, at least. Yeah, and I think there there, there also might be some some little blowout stuff in there. I, but, yeah. you know, that, that doesn't count within garbage time. But there are a couple of reasons why teams stagger stars. And one of them is that the non-stars cannot tread water. And maybe, and Portland has, has some fascinating decisions about this over the, over the years. And we've talked about it in the 15 and 60 in, in different capacities. So 
I mean, I, I want to get a sense of it, but remember, as their depth keeps changing, then that changes whether those units are survivable or not. I think Simons has done pretty well overall. You know, he's been efficient as a, as an offensive player, and was he's not he's doing more of it as a scorer than as a distributor. Some of that is just the the role that he's been asked to play so far. But just overall, thinking about well, where are those units going to get a defensive identity, where who's going to create offense, it can be a really big challenge for them. And something else that I think is worth mentioning for Portland, five of their seven games so far have been on the road. That's always tough, especially at the early part of a year, even if even if you have some continuity. But that doesn't abate for a long time because they all even after this, they have a six game road trip in November and two other road games against the Clippers and the Kings. So it's a really brutal early slate for them, more in terms of travel than necessarily opponent quality, but that can be tough to bear as well. Yeah, and obviously with the injuries they need some help good news is that anthony simons is shooting the ball well so far bad news is that i just uh, hassan whiteside i think has been what they would have hoped offensively and he's given them something on the offensive glass he dominated the warriors on the offensive glass the other day but he's just not the same shot blocker that he was he's not the same athlete that he was in his heyday in miami when he was really i thought one of the best natural shot blockers i've ever seen he's just not getting those crazy wild blocks and you know this is age 30 season and he's had number of knee and hip issues that i think have sapped some of his athleticism he he, even in their conservative scheme he hasn't really been able to have this crazy effect at the basket so far all right two and five sacramento kings 29th in net rating outscored by 11.8 points per 100 possessions 27th in offense 27th in defense and i think a big point here which is pretty amazing is that the kings do not have a single player right now that has a usage rate higher than 20 percent and a true shooting above 55 percent so that's fox and healed bogdanovich has 20 has sorry 43 percent true shooting this year fox and healed are 52 percent that is a big challenge and you expect those to get better at least in i mean you expect all of them to get better even if they don't all you know spike way harder than this and that has been a factor in it and another part is that they're just getting less so far out of transition than they did last year yeah and jaron fox is the poster child for that talk about his individual stats in a minute but last season number one almost 25 percent of their possessions occurred in transition and they were extremely efficient 1.28 points per possession in transition and number 22 half court offense that's a stat we're all familiar with this season 20.5 percent of their possessions in transition that's 14th in the nba it's moving up a little bit after these last couple games they played the knicks that helped uh and 13th in points per possession and then the number 28 half court offense so basically 2.1 points per game that they have lost in transition on a game-to-game basis part of that at least what many would tell you is the effect of their trip to india now kevin pelton did a study on teams that had been to asia india obviously is further than china or japan are and he found that there wasn't really a statistically recognizable effect from those trips now the nba preseason used to be longer those trips used to happen earlier so it's possible that now with the preseason being truncated with the trip being closer to the start of the season with uh, another thing that's been posited too which is a good point is not only are you tired but you just don't have the practice time and you're behind the eight ball there just because of the travel the sponsorship and media obligations that you have in 
Asia. But I, I talked to someone in their organization who told me that their tracking data does actually confirm that they are just moving more slowly than they were at this point last year in practices. And they just don't have the same energy level and that it has affected them. So certainly that's they have a reason to say that because it's a lot easier to point to external reasons than internal reasons but uh, that is a data point that might indicate that that there is something real uh to this trip in india uh fox transition hurting him 28 percent of the time last year in transition down to 17 percent of the time last year's pick and roll numbers basically the same as they were a year ago but he's having to isolate a lot more He's spotting up a lot more as just as a percentage of his individual possessions. So I'm hopeful for them that they're going to be able to start pushing the ball more as the season goes on. Well, something that's going to have to help that, and Seth and I talked about this a little while, we actually had a fairly long Kings discussion, was feedback loops in their defense. I mean, yeah. the way that you run is by getting stops, and they're not stopping anybody right now until they played the Knicks. <laughs> the Spurs are 4-3 and three after a loss last night to the Hawks. We talked about that one extensively on our Gamer yesterday, if you want to hear about that. 13th in net rating, plus 1.4. 15th on offense, and 15th on defense. And we can start here with a question from CD019. DeJounte Murray and Derek White have played only five seconds together as of last week, but I haven't seen them play together much uh, since then. I've watched a couple of Spurs games. And they split the point guard minutes for the Spurs. Who's looked better, and could it be the best defensive backcourt if they play together? What do you think overall, Danny, of the idea of those two guys playing together? I think it could work, but not with DeMar DeRozan as the three, because... There just isn't enough, uh, quite enough there, and probably not with Trey Lyles as the four either. But maybe Damari Carroll or just better guys eventually. I mean, San Antonio's going to have to turn over this roster over the next couple of years either way. So maybe that's how they get there. I agree with the with CD that the defense of that group would be absolutely nasty. I'm a believer in DeJounte and Derek White. Both those guys also can be effective in different kinds of defensive matchups, like White can do some stuff off ball and then and Murray I just love him as an on-ball defender primarily as to the question of who has looked better I've still seen some just absolutely wow flashes from Murray and an important piece of context here is that Murray's just been asked to do a lot more I would say that he has done worse with the more than Derek White but that's important because what what the opportunities that are presented and White largely because he's been playing on the second unit he has been functioning as a complimentary player, which can work, especially if his jump shot is falling. And I mean, White right now, 18% usage and a 12.4 assist percentage. You know, th- those are just low. And okay, you know, Patty Mills, other guys can can shoulder that burden, but it makes it harder to evaluate Derek White in other circumstances. One other stat, though, that I thought was, was telling is the Spurs have actually scored 1.4 points per possession when Derek White runs a pick and roll that's including scoring and assisting the overall number. But They've only run 36 of those pick and rolls in 161 minutes that he's played. Yeah, Spurs are not a huge pick and roll team. One of those guys, if they're going to be long-term players, I mean, I know DeRozan is not your ideal guy to play with with his ISO and lack of three-point shooting. 0 for 2 on the year from 3, by the way, after uh, there's discussion that he needed to shoot the 3 more this year. But one of them's got to be become a at least average spot-up shooter. They're both very low on the volume. They both looked a little bit more aggressive 
taking the three so far this year but they certainly have a, a long way to go murray the good news is i think athletically he looks like he's backed he looks like he hasn't uh, missed a beat uh and he's just got more pure point guard skills than white does also he's got a little more floater game he's got a little more shake a more natural pick and roll player white kind of likes to be a hard straight line driver i think murray's got some more vision as well than white does i think white ultimately might be you know sort of like their marcus smart type of guy maybe and he doesn't have that level of strength but maybe profiles is more of a bench guard and that's fine he could be a third guard maybe they play a few minutes together they don't close games together and maybe this shouldn't be a surprise that they've kind of doubled down on their shot profile so far to date danny or shot profile so far to date I don't think it should it should be a surprise. I mean, most mid-rangers in the league, 44% of their shots by comparison the next highest proportion, 35.7. So they're just just moving beyond everybody else. And when you're taking that many mid-rangers, whether you want to think of these as chicken and egg, lowest proportion at the rim by a decent margin and second lowest proportion from 3. On most of those they're competing, let's call it with the Indiana Pacers before their game on Wednesday and one of the big differences is that last year, the Spurs had that anachronistic shot distribution, but still finished sixth in, a, in effective field goal percentage, which was shocking to us. And that's part of how they were so effective defense, or offensively last year. This year, they're 21st in that stat. And so that is a part of why they've fallen to 15th in offense. But that that's a part of the story. But what I found really interesting, and I'm going to keep an eye on this as I continue to watch the Spurs throughout this year, is that the shot profile distribution is is very similar to last year. But a lot of the uh, rest of their offense is meaningfully different so far. And there's some sample stuff in here for sure. After leading the league in turnovers last year, they're now around league average. And that's a huge change in terms of because you end those possessions with not even a shot on, on, on that. But they've also really improved in terms of free throw attempt rate and offensive rebounding. They went from being the lowest offensive rebounding team last year all the way up to 12th so far. They feel pretty average on both ends, don't they? Yeah, but I mean, what benefit that the Spurs have is, I, I wonder how, especially if they can figure out certain elements of it, <clears throat> Marco Bellinelli, that their bench is so good that I think that's actually going to win them another couple games this year, and maybe that's enough to, to kind of keep them more firmly in the playoff mix. Finish it up here. Utah Jazz are 4-3, and three, but 6th in net rating. Hey, big surprise. Jazz underperforming their point differential. Biggest disappointment, though, 24th in offense, but they are first by a mile in defense. They are benefiting from some shooting luck. Opponents shooting 15% on corner threes, probably not going to continue. They are also not shooting well on threes overall, mid-rangers. But they're also shooting above average at the rim right now, and that's probably going to regress a little bit with Rudy Gobert in the mix. But the big disappointment has been Mike Conley. Let's compare him to last year with memphis and the thought was all right he's going to get to play off the ball a lot more this year in utah right au contraire this year 50 or i'm sorry yeah 59.7 percent of his shots coming out of the pick and roll and he's been atrocious on that 17th percentile 0.6 points per possession spotting up 11 percent of his offense that's about the same as it was a year ago but he's not hitting as well the three-pointer in particular has been off his shots at the rim he was supposed to be getting more of those well not happening really and perhaps the and he wasn't getting a ton before but he was getting to the foul line more also maybe playing with a stretch big in gasol and and jaron jackson to some degree with those guys at the elbow there's a little bit more room for him to come off the screen penetrate and get to the basket himself 
he does benefit from having Gobert uh, as a guy who can come in and dunk it, although Gobert's dunks are, are down this year so far. But maybe because Gobert is rolling to the rim, there isn't as much room for him to attack the rim in his own offense. Not to say that Gobert should be hanging out at the three-point line, but maybe that's part of the reason why. So I haven't noticed anything watching Conley that he looks slower to me or anything. It's just the shot hasn't been going in. Another thing that I think Utah just doesn't really have as part of their offense, they're so pick and roll heavy. He was actually pretty good coming off of screens last year and as a spot up guy. And that's just not something that they have done at all. And he's taken two shots coming off of screens the whole year and he took 140 last year. So just little ways for him to attack transition. The Grizz famously did not run much when he was there, but the, he actually did more in transition last year than he's doing so far this year. But all those things you want to say about his shot profile and stuff being different, the way he's being used being different, ball's got to just go in the basket. I mean, a lot of the shots that he's taking are shots that he can make. And I, I expect it to improve, but maybe not to the point of last year, which was a, a career year in a number of respects. So he's 32 this year now. Even with all of those Conley shooting struggles, there are still material benefits for the rest of the team of having somebody and also, you know, Bogdanovich replacing Derek Favors, structurally changing the offense. And for now, the defense has still been so good, which is amazing. But I wanted to go through just briefly how Donovan Mitchell's, his stats with and without Conley on the floor, you know, we're still in the small sample size theater to be sure. But Mitchell with Conley, 27 points and 5.1 assists per 36 minutes. And then without him, the points go up and the assists go down. 28 points, 1.4 yeah, assists. You'd think it would be the opposite. You would. But I think part of that is just the floor and the, and the the players that he's playing with. The most common with Mitchell, without Conley lineup, is Moutier, Mitchell, Ingles, Jeff, or Jeff Green, and Ed Davis. Ed Davis now hurt. And there are other guys that can handle the ball in that lineup. Mitchell can can be more of a scorer, I think, there. Notably, Mitchell's true shooting and usage are actually pretty similar with those two lineups. But the most prominent difference, and I think this is an interesting part. Also, there's some stuff, stuff with the net rating with Gobert not being on the floor. But even with Conley's struggles, Mitchell plus Conley, 112.5 offensive rating. Jazz with Mitchell on the floor and not Conley, 98.2 offensive rating so far. So, and, and, you know, some of that is just shots going in, shots not going in. I don't want to say anything causal necessarily there, but it is a reminder that having players that other teams have to defend and have to respect can still lead to positives in the in the interim and I think that's really helping Don Mitchell I think it's helping the Jazz overall even though it's not what we all want it to be later on yeah and we got to wrap up here but Mitchell having a really really nice start to the year some unsustainable shooting numbers but he's getting to the foul line a lot more turnovers are way down interesting that he's actually taking a lot fewer threes although he's hitting them particularly well it has been odd though for the Jazz offense that they've got these shooters they're hitting shots but they're not getting as many threes Gobert's not getting as many dunks it's just not as easy I don't know if the defenses have figured them out from a scheme standpoint they usually play better as the year goes on other than Conley no one individually is playing that badly but they still are struggling offensively uh we are struggling to get this done under the two hour mark but I don't need to wrap up because we're about to talk to Ben here about Memphis let's talk Grizz now with our new director of basketball research uh, Ben Dell. congrats uh, of course to Liam who uh, is our former director of insight and strategy now works uh, for the Miami Heat but Ben's been working with us on the cast for a couple of years uh, also a former student of mine at, at sports business classroom and so he's going to take over do one team a week for the 15 and 60 and we're going to do the Memphis Grizzlies first of all just what's their record where are they right now so right now they are one and five 
They've got a negative 7.8 net rating, 29th in offense at 99 even, and then 16th in defense at 106.9. Which of those two numbers do you think is more likely to sustain throughout the year? Well, I would I would hope that I think you'd hope that <laughs> the offense isn't going to stay that low. So I would I would kind of say the defense, you know, with what they have with 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 Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark, especially how exciting and the kind of plays they can make, even though they're both obviously so young. And I think I think you would just kind of hope I, I think you just kind of lean that way. I, I just don't know if I want to be, you know, come down so hard and say that, yeah, this team's obviously going to be really bad on offense. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I went through at the start of the year and projected, I thought they were going to be the 29th ranked offense. I, I thought Charlotte would be the worst. They've actually been pretty good so far, but uh, Memphis is struggling. They just don't have a lot of shooting or playmaking, it seems like to me. Yeah, that's definitely the... I mean, I know Chris Harrington, I think he covered this when you had him on, that it's just going to be a lot on John Moran and Tyus Jones, you know, respectively when they're in... Obviously, you know, they can make some sense together and they've played a little bit together, but just so much is going to be on them. Yeah, defensively, they are benefiting from really bad opponent shooting on mid-rangers, only 33% from mid-range and ninth in the NBA, giving up 34% from three. So that's not totally unsustainable there. Uh, But what really stuck out to you uh, about this team, kind of give you carte blanche on these teams this year. So what were some of the things you looked at over the course of the last week or so? I thought one interesting thing for them offensively is you saw the, you know, with Taylor Jenkins, you saw kind of the, you know, some of the Milwaukee early offense stuff, you know, that five man trailing down the middle go screen away you know that you know the first kind of look there is that you maybe get that guy an open three but I think that is really exciting with Jaron Jackson if he's that guy in that spot because you know that guy if he cuts through and then you know if Jaron's guy has to worry about that cutter at all well then he can step right back out and then he's got a three or he can kind of attack that guy running out at him and I think that's just a really interesting thing for them to kind of get to early in possessions and obviously you know with you know the guy that you know i think is the most interesting to see you know what kind of steps he can take offensively and, and those are probably the positions you want him to be in i like that action for them too because john morant in early offense if you now are also having jaron jackson who's a shooter he screens away for your two now they might need a two who can actually make a shot at some point on this team uh which makes that action a little less threatening when it's not Chris Middleton coming off, but it's uh, Grayson Allen instead. But because that occupies the defense away from the ball, that actually you know it's coming, that lead will give Ja a chance to get in the lane as well. And I think Ja has been pretty close to as advertised for me. I love what he's been able to do in transition in particular. Yeah, I mean, he's he's magic in the open court. And just he he's just so, you know, he just really will attack the rim with abandon. Like he had that, you know, didn't, didn't watch the Houston game quite as closely. Of course, he had that... Uh, you know, we just tried to go up on Daniel House. He had a play in the Miami game where he just took off the middle lane. He's just going to try to put it down on somebody. And obviously, those are the kind of plays you hold your breath for. And what you mentioned with Jaw, just kind of attacking too, that's kind of, that's interesting there. And it's, you know, I think to some level, like you mentioned, like who that, who that two is for them. I think like at least with Dylan Brooks, like you probably want to see what he can do in a larger sample, kind of getting, getting the reps in that spot. But then a fun, you know, fun thing they can go from there too is if, you know, Jaw doesn't attack right away, they don't give it back to Jaron, whatever, you know, they can just spring into a quick give and go too. And that can kind of be the same, same idea to get Jaw going downhill right away. Yeah. I mean, if he just shot fakes, he's been shooting extremely well from three, interestingly enough. He's also flashing more floater game than he had at Murray State. And against teams that don't have great rim protection, he's really been able to eat. Like he had some just spectacular finishes against Houston when I think he was plus nine 
late in the game in a game that they were down by 10 uh so they definitely could really struggle with him off the floor uh what do you think he needs to work on here early on i think you're kind of seeing the moments where you know he doesn't if he doesn't totally get going you know hard downhill and then it's okay you know guy's gonna step under what's he gonna do in those situations you've seen him pull you know pull a couple of threes and and a couple of mid-rangers i think one encouraging thing is when he when he kind of gets going and his guy gets hit with a screen, he's looked pretty looked pretty good with some of his floaters when he's able to get, you know, get really in close and, you know, the the center's just so far back, he's not really not totally in the picture. But yeah, they, they played against Brooklyn, which uh many of those shots were available for him in that game. <laughs> right. And I think I think one big thing is just when, you know, there were times where if there's two on the ball, just how pressing how pressing the need is to get it out right away. And I think a tough question for just kind of that whole team as well. You know, how much of that is if Valanchunas is on the floor, you know, maybe you understand where you're not all, you may, you might want to kind of look for something else. If you know, the, the most obvious option is kind of him spotting up in the corner or it's him that you might hit with that pocket pass. And I think, so I think that's kind of one of many things that all kind of points back to like, okay, how much is Jaron Jackson be playing at the five or Brandon Clark, you know, next to him. Yeah, and Clark, I mean, there have been plays where Clark catches it on the short roll. He's got a little bit of a floater game as well. They take a lot of floaters on this team, again, because teams are playing the pick and roll two on two. They've played a lot of teams that are like that as well. I agree with you, his chemistry with Valanciunas could be a little better at this point in time. Um, how about Jaron Jackson Jr.? What's his start to the year look like? So I think it's, like I mentioned, like that, just that early action is just, it's really, it's so much fun to watch. A, a question for them is, and, and for him when he's kind of playing at the four is, you know, one, it's it's just tough if, you know, Valanciunas is in pick and roll, if he's that trail guy. You know, it's, it's tough because a lot of times he's probably just going to be kind of standing in the corner. So just kind of you know, add for them, just adding layers or just, you know, at times it'll just, it might be a little frustrating both, you know, for a fan and maybe even for him, if, if that's what he's going to be asked to do a lot, they have tried to get like some cross screening action and just trying to get him, you know, quickly, you know, like on the left side of the floor, a couple, well, both sides, they've uh, tried to get him some looks there a couple of times. He's just been a little over eager and added to his foul total, just kind of running over a smaller guy and not being able to get in there. Uh, quickly, uh, you know, and just knowing when to swim, you know, if a guy tries to muck that up as he tries to use a cross screen. So I think there's some, I think you def, you definitely want to see more of, you know, those chances for him too. And then, you know, it, it just, Valent, for Valentunas too, it's, you know, if, you know, if he's going to be able to help out Jackson sometimes in those situations, if you just got a center in the lane, you know, if, if Valentunas is going to make some of those shots, I think, you know, some of the stuff they're already doing can get pretty interesting for Jackson to go to work inside. Yeah, Jackson, only 26% from three so far. He is taking more, 35% of his field goal attempts. And he is at least getting up 5.3s, 5.43s per 36 minutes. But if you want him taking more, it's probably going to go in more than it has so far. He's only five out of 19 on the season. But if he starts hitting threes at a decent rate, then certainly his efficiency numbers are going to look a lot better. What have you seen from Jackson defensively this year? So a, a lot of it with with Valanchunas is, you know, he's guarding, you know, in the, against Chicago, he's guarding, you know, spending some time on Larry Markinen, you know, Miami, some of that, they've got some stretchy guys, uh, Brooklyn, you know, if he's on like Torian Prince, there are a lot of moments where he's guarding a shooter. So there aren't really a lot of chances for him. Obviously when he's guarding those guys, uh, you know, I think like the Brooklyn game, 
you know, was pretty interesting because, you know, he had a couple plays where, you know, he was the guy kind of at the center of everything. And, you know, with between Kyrie and Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert all getting going at stretches of that game, I think, you know, you were, he, he, I mean, he fouled out in that game, but, you know, there were a couple plays where just, you know, he's not quite ready to react, you know, in time, you know, playing that cat and mouse game with the roller, uh, just being ready, you know, for that ball handler coming downhill at him, you know, change direction to just really, uh, you know, kind of force him to commit and then be in a position to really use his length to really bother people. Yeah, I haven't really felt the force from him. A lot of times he's not just coming out of nowhere to make plays. His help instincts haven't been unbelievable. As you mentioned, he's been uh, out on the floor a little bit more. It's been a little bit of a disappointing start to the year for him, to me. For those people who felt he was going to take a leap this year, again, he's still very young. He's one of the younger guys in the draft. But this idea that he's going to be just an absolute game changer, you'd hope that you'd start seeing that this season. It's not quite there yet for me. Um, All right, we're running a little short on time. So just give me like, 30 seconds on what you've seen from Brandon Clark so far. So one thing for Clark, I think to tie it in with Jackson, I think is you mentioned the guy just kind of kind of coming out of nowhere. I think Clark can be that guy. So I think the interesting thing is maybe try Clark a little more when they play together on the fours and kind of let him be the guy to kind of fly in and out because that he you see him come over and he just, you know, every time he just, he comes across, he loads up, you know, he gets vertical and just straight up. And he's also, you know, he does a good job of keeping an eye on the ball too. So he's going to, you know, get all the way up in the air make a play and you mentioned the floater game earlier you know i think he's been willing to shoot the three which is important and but just you know going back to his college day just having that kind of in, in his bag as an option to kind of get in there and at least make make some plays you mentioned all the floaters are going to shoot but just as some kind of option for him to score so early in his career i think it's just it's just a nice thing to have because there will probably be a lot of moments where he's going to catch it with a big cushion all right anything else that really stood out to them uh, to you about them i would say that's about all you know clark has been the, the the first sub off the bench a lot of times and i understand if a lot of people are saying that that it isn't even early enough you know, just to maximize him and him and Jaron Jackson playing together. But just those three guys, you know, it's just been really fun to see them on the floor together. And we'll see, we'll see as the season goes, you know, if that, if this is about what it's going to be as far as the amount of them playing together, if they, if they crank that up even more. Yeah. I'm interested to see who closed games. They've been loath to go with Valanciunas, despite the big contract that he's been given. They have played better with him on the floor. The differentials between John Morant and Tyus Jones, they are just much better with Morant on the floor Dylan Brooks also has a crazy differential right now they're plus 39.6 like net rating 39.6 better when Dylan Brooks is on the floor he's played 163 minutes now he's impressed me with his defense in particular the shooting is a question mark and he's really doing a little bit too much offensively he hasn't been particularly efficient but he's someone to watch if he can hit shots he could maybe get a payday in restricted free agency all right well thanks again everyone for listening we're going to be going to a little bit of a lighter schedule the next week or so here though we do have some fun episodes we also got a hollinger and duncan episode coming out as well please subscribe to that and search hollinger in your podcast player of choice you can follow ben on twitter at ben underscore dull and we'll be back on monday night actually doing two episodes next week but they should be long ones i'm gonna be out of town taking my mom on vacation for her 70th birthday i'll still be watching games but a little bit lighter of a schedule next week for dunked on so we'll talk to you on monday night here sunday night for hollinger and duncan till then bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. 
Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.